one of the uh, common uh, common conversations that I have with people as I meet uh, some throughout the week is uh, just the, the frustration that, that some people feel, that many people feel, about their inability to overcome a certain sin in their lives. Whether it's, you know, whatever that, that sin might be. I remember hearing uh, from this one guy in Virginia, and he basically was a longtime churchgoer. Seemed like he loved the Lord. But one day he said, I can't believe in Christianity anymore. I can't believe in the Bible. I can't believe in Jesus anymore. And when you press him why, he said, well, because for the longest time I've had this struggle with sin. I've had this struggle with pornography. And I prayed about it. And I asked God to, to help me to overcome it. But for all these years, I couldn't. I couldn't overcome it. And if he's not able to help me to overcome this sin in my life, then I can't believe that he's real. Maybe for others of you, you feel like there's a sin in your life that you keep on struggling with. You keep on going back to that well. And keep on drinking only to find that it's not satisfying you. But for the life of you, you can't overcome. You can't kick that. Maybe it's that same thing. A pornography addiction. Maybe it's, a, a, it's some kind of a, an eating disorder in your life. Maybe it's gossip. I just can't. For the life of me, I tell myself I'm not going to do it. I pray that I won't do it. I can't stop judging people. Is there a sin in your life that you cannot let go of? A habitual sin in your life that continues to beset you on the journey of faith? Or maybe, maybe you feel like if Christianity is all about having joy and new life and hope and laughter, then why is it that joy is so elusive in my life? Why is it that it's so hard for me to smile? Why is it that when people say there's a joy, that uh, this undertow of joy, no matter what the circumstances of life may be, why is it that I don't feel it and I follow Jesus? Do you feel like that? This morning, as we continue to look into the Beatitudes, the one Beatitude that I want to look at today, I believe has power in it when we understand it and allow ourselves to be submitted to it to help us to overcome both the struggle of habitual sin in our lives, and this wrestling with why can't I find joy in my life. We're going to read from uh, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to hit verse 4 and camp out there, but I want to read it in context again as we read uh, the Beatitudes. This is, again, the preamble to the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest teaching that probably um, people, uh, the, the most famous teaching of Jesus that people will remember. And it talks about life in the kingdom of God. This is not written for the general public to say this is your life. But he's saying as followers of Jesus, as people of the kingdom, as Christians, this ought to characterize your life. This is Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is a kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
is God's word. Let's read out verse 4 just one more time. It says, blessed are those who mourn, uh, for they will be comforted. When you read this word blessed uh, throughout the Bible, usually it, it carries this idea of uh, truly and deeply happy. Finding a complete sense of contentment and satisfaction in life. Joyful, joyful. Oh, the joys of such a person. Saying, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Will you translate this literally what you could translate this to say, happy are those who mourn. <laughs> Happy are those who are sad. That doesn't make any sense. At least not in this world. The Beatitudes of Jesus teach us the countercultural ethic of the kingdom and how the life that we live as people of the kingdom, as citizens of the kingdom, is completely contrary and flips upside down, or right side up rather, the values and the culture and the understanding of the world. Blessed are those who mourn. Happy are the sad. That's not what the world teaches because the world teaches us to do everything that you can to avoid this sadness, to do everything that you can to avoid mourning, to ignore it, to deny it, to downplay it, to shun it. The multi-billion dollar entertainment industry makes so much of its money as an industry of distraction from the sadness and the mourning of life. So what is it that Jesus means when he says, happy are those who mourn? Maybe he's gotten it mixed up. This week I was uh, texting with somebody. I wanted to write uh, in Spanish the word for God bless you, the phrase for God bless you. Does anyone know what that phrase is? Say it again. Dios le bendiga. Okay, Dios le bendiga. It's three words. Dios, God, le, you, bendiga, blessing, or something like that. Dios le bendiga. So I was texting it, and I got to Dios le, and I typed in bendiga, and it auto-corrected to bed bugs. Dios le bed bugs. And I thought, well, I can't send that. Sometimes in our world, the blessing and the curse seem to get mixed up, don't they? The blessing and the curse. How can this mourning actually be a sign of blessing? I want to talk about that today. This stuff is going to change your life, I promise you, if you have ears to hear and heart to receive what the Lord would say. Um, this is life-changing stuff. Because it's the word of God. Two things today. The first thing that I want to say, the morning that is blessed, the morning that is blessed is a morning over sin. It's not just a, a general morning because we all, we all mourn. Right? We all mourn in life, whether, you know, for whatever reason. Uh, some years ago when we're back at our old church building in, in Pine Hills, um, some of our leaders got together and we did this uh, spiritual mapping Activity where we all got big pieces of paper and uh, we had to graph out the highs and lows of our lives. I don't know if you, any of you guys remember doing this, but uh, high points would be things like, I gave my life to Christ. Uh, I started growing like crazy at this retreat. I got married. I graduated from school. I got my first job, got my first paycheck. I had my first child. These were some of the highs. Some of the lows were things like, endured the loss of a loved one. Business failed, got rejected from this school, got rejected from this job. These were some of the highs and lows. And there's this one guy or girl uh, in, in, in that group of people. And for all of this person's lows, they wrote sporting events in the lives of his favorite team and the losses that they had endured. So 
his lowest lows would be things like the Illinois basketball team lost in the Final Four, and the Illinois football team lost against Indiana, or uh, Derrick Rose, who came out of Chicago, should have gone to Illinois, instead of going to Illinois, ended up choosing Memphis, and I almost had a nervous breakdown. I cried for days. Those would be some of the things that this uh, man or woman said. And for whatever, you know, for, for some people, the mourning is different. The sadness is different. The lows are different. But the reality of life is that all of us are going to mourn because all of us will experience sadness. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed is everybody then. Is that what Jesus is saying? Because in time you will be comforted. In time, time is going to heal. Therefore, just wait it out, suck it up, endure, and then you'll make it until the end and you will find comfort. Is that what Jesus is saying? It would be an extremely superficial reading of the Beatitudes, and it wouldn't really describe life in the kingdom because this could be life in the world. It's not a very countercultural ethic if you're talking about what it means uh, to, to, to mourn and to be comforted in that kind of a sense. What is Jesus talking about? The first beatitude we looked at last week said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the gateway blessing. So everyone who is poor in spirit has also mourned. You look at people like Isaiah, poor in spirit. He said, woe is me, I am ruined. He was mourning. The apostle Paul said, I'm the worst of all people. I'm the chief of all sinners. There's no one worse than me. What is it about Paul? He said at the same time, what a wretched man I am. Who can rescue me from this body of death? Romans 7. Everyone who is poor in spirit has also mourned. And when you get to that alcoholic Max, who came to the point of realization of his utter bankruptcy, he then mourned over his state. What is it that all who are poor in spirit are mourning? They're mourning over their sin. You want to be truly happy and blessed. It begins, Jesus says, with having a right relationship with sin. That's what it begins with. Having a right relationship with sin. He doesn't say blessed are those who tinker with sin, who coddle sin, who play with sin. But he says, blessed are those who've seen through the illusion, who've seen through the veneer, and seen through the bankruptcy and the utter nothingness of sin, and you see it for what it is, and instead of avoiding it, instead of downplaying it, instead of rationalizing and justifying sin, he says, blessed are those who mourn over sin and have a proper understanding and a right relationship with sin. Saying, blessed are those who see it for what it is, and you look at the effects of sin in your life. And you see how sin affects your relationship with God. You see how sin affects your mind and your heart and your soul and your body even. You see how sin affects your ability to think and your ability to look at people and your ability to treat people right. Anyone who says, I can do my sin in secret and it doesn't have an effect on everybody else is deeply and gravely mistaken because the things you do in secret are going to be brought out in public. The secret to life, gang, is your life in secret. You want to see, I, I say this all the time, you want to see who you are 10 years later, look at who you are in secret. And a lot of times you don't even need to wait for 10 years. Your private life, your private sins are going to come out and be made known and it's going to be manifest in the way you relate to people. You see how sin affects other people, how your sin affects your family, your husband, your wife, your children, your kids, your parents. You see how your sin breaks the heart of those who love you and who care for you and how it brings division in your relationships. You see how sin affects God most of all, that it was my sin that held him there. 
that your sin and my sin crucified Jesus to the cross. Not only that, your sin separated a father from the object of his undying affection. His only begotten son. And that it was my sin and it was your sin that separated the only son of God from his father whom he loved with everything within him. He says, blessed are you if you can get that and you can understand that this is what your sin does and the effects of your sin. And you don't try to justify that sin by saying, well, everyone else was doing it and everyone else happens to go to church or everyone else is doing it or this is, this is the norm these days. Because the ethic of the kingdom is different. We are a call to live a countercultural life. And he's saying, blessed are the people who understand that. Who understand that the way that you use and spend money, the way that you view people is different. Because this is what it means, the entry point to really understanding the blessed life. It means that if we call ourselves Christians and we put our trust in Christ, then the question begins to change. It's not what is wrong with me doing these things. But the question becomes, how is God honored by me doing these things? Do you see? It's a subtle shift, but it's huge. It's not what's wrong with me smoking or doing, smoking weed in a, country, in, a, in a state that allows it. That's not what's wrong with that. The question is, how is God honored by that? That's a question you have to ask. Not what's wrong with me going in and, and, and drinking. But the question is, how is God honored by us doing that? The question is not what's wrong with me looking at a little bit of pornography. It's not an addiction. The question is, how is God honored by that? These are the questions that we have to ask ourselves. He's saying you have a right relationship with sin, then you're on the way to understanding what it is to be blessed. So as you have your relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend, you're not asking, well, can we go this far? The question is, how is God honored by this relationship? That's how we begin to understand that we're living with the ethic of the kingdom of God within us. You see, we will never, ever, ever be able to overcome sin in our lives unless we mourn over those sins and its effect in our lives and lives of people that we love, but especially in our relationship with God. If you knew, if, if you had a family member that you loved and they were murdered, brutally murdered, unjustly murdered, would you two days later go and date that person who murdered your friend? Would you go out and hang out with them? Would you be laughing with them, joking with them, hanging out on the side once a week with them? You realize that it's our sin that killed Jesus. It should change the way that we view sin. If sin killed Jesus, we ought not be friends with it. We ought not rationalize and say, well, it's not that big a deal. All it did was kill my Savior. And we'll never be able to overcome the habitual sins in our lives unless we go to a point of mourning over our sins. You see, there's a difference between confessing a sin and mourning over a sin. You can confess sin without any cost to your life. Were you gossiping this week? Yeah, I was gossiping. You know what? My bad. That's confession. But mourning over that sin is a completely different thing. You look at your sin and you grieve over it. You mourn over it. You see how that's ruining the lives of people around you. That's ruining and hindering relationships in your family. And you see how God sees that. And you begin to mourn over your sin. Not justifying it. Not saying it's not that big a deal. 
but really fighting and mourning and grieving over sin in our lives. We can confess without cost. And I know that because when uh, my kids were younger, when Elijah was younger, he used to be kind of rough with his baby sister, Elise. Sometimes, like, one of the things he loved doing was when she'd be sitting up on her, on her bottom, on the, uh, you know, on the floor, on a mat. He would love just running up to her and pushing her over, knocking her over. He would think it was so fun. Problem is, Elise didn't think it was that fun, and so she didn't like it. So she began to grow this mistrust and fear of her older brother. And so whenever he comes around, she'll, like, flail her arms, and whenever he hugs her, she'll push his face away. But, but still... He continues to, to, he continue. he doesn't do this anymore, he's a good boy now, but that was when he was younger, and she was younger, he doesn't do that now. But Elijah was not just mean to his baby sister back in the day, but he was an equal opportunity offender, so he would do this to his older sister as well. One time, he didn't do that because he's not as strong as her, but one time Manny came, they were playing at their table doing something, coloring, and she came running to Olivia and me with some hair in her hand, and she said, look, Elijah cut my hair. We're like, oh my goodness. And Olivia's like, where is it? Thankfully, it was in a place that wasn't very noticeable. But Elijah would do things like that again, not these days, but a long time ago when he was young and sinful. He's better now since he's prayed the sinner's prayer. But So he would come to us and we'd say, Elijah. Okay, some of you are like, who is Elijah's are almost three-year-old boys. He's not like 15 or anything like that. He's three. He would come to us and we'd say, Elijah, did you do this? And, and a lot of times he would, he would, he would, Say, okay, I did it. You know, the scissors are in my hand. It's, it's not like he can get away from it. He would say, you need to say sorry. And he wouldn't want to do it. And so after a while of saying, you know, threats and all of these things, he, he would finally yell, sorry, really loud. And then he would run back off to his corner. And he confessed. But then within a couple hours, he'd be doing the same thing, pushing over baby and trying to cut Manny's hair. And a lot of times I think our repentance is like that too, isn't it? Confess, okay, God, I'm sorry, I've, de- I've done it. Right? My conscience is bothered. I messed up. But it's easy to have confession without a cost. And maybe if you're wrestling with the same sins that you've been wrestling with for five years, ten years, fifteen years, maybe you haven't deeply mourned over your sin. It's the last time you shed tears over your sinful estate. You're broken inside over your sins and the effect that it was having on the lives of people. When you heard God weeping, you know, sometimes when it rains, Elijah asks why it rains, and sometimes I, you know, I, I used to hear God is crying over something that's happening in the world. And so these days when I hear it rain, I think maybe God's heart is broken over the condition of the world that we live in. Maybe God's heart is broken over mine heart and my sin. Have you ever heard God cry over your sins that caused his son to be nailed to a cross? Have you wept over and you mourned for your sin? The the mourning that is blessed is the mourning over sin. And Jesus says, listen, hey, this is what it looks like to mourn. If your right eye causes you to sin, you gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, you cut it off. He says it's better for you to enter into heaven maimed and gored than to love sin so much that you can't give your life to your Savior. 
right? This is the mourning that's blessed. The mourning over our sin. Have you mourned over your sin lately? Have you shed tears over your sin lately? My point is done. Yeah, basically, everything I want to say about this is done. But I don't want us to move on from that, you know? I don't want us to, to, for 10 years later, to be stuck in the same old sins and to not be able to overcome and to feel like we're stuck in this ditch and this rut and, and we can't get over it. We can't get out of it. So unless we mourn our sins, we're going to remain where we are. Unless we grieve over our sins, we're never going to be able to overcome. We're never going to live in the freedom and the joy that's been promised to us. The second thing that we see, the comfort that is promised right, is comfort only found in Jesus. The comfort that's promised is found only in Jesus. When you're mourning, right, it doesn't matter what you're mourning. Right? You've grieved, uh, you've lost something, you've lost a job, you've lost a, a home, you've lost money, you lost out on investment. When you're mourning, what is it that you need? Yeah, money is helpful. Flowers are beautiful. Food is necessary. But a helicopter could come and drop all these things down to you and your soul could still shrivel up and die. What you need in your time of mourning more than anything else is you need comfort. You need comfort. And the only way that you're going to be comforted, Jesus says, is if you understand what it means to mourn. The reason why some of us don't experience the blessedness of the comfort, the joy of the comfort, is because we have not gone to that place of mourning. A surface repentance, a surface confession will only lead to a surface change. But a deep mourning will lead to a deep change. And Jesus is saying, unless you know what it is to mourn, unless you felt the guilt of that, then you're not going to experience the comfort that only Jesus can give, the kind of comfort that he promised will truly be blessed. I remember a couple weeks back watching, and maybe some of you guys did, and, and this, is, this is national news. A, new, a former New England Patriot football player and a star at that, a former University of Florida Gator football player and a star, Aaron Hernandez, was on trial over the past two years. 25 years old, huge, strapping, muscular, good-looking guy. Was on trial for the murder of another semi-pro football player. And I, I got a message on my phone that breaking news, the verdict has been reached. And so I, I logged on to ESPN from the coffee shop that I was at, and I was watching this. And as the pronouncement was delivered from the jury foreperson, they were asking, what is the verdict? And they said, the verdict on, what is the verdict on murder? And they said, guilty. And as soon as I heard that, there was just a, a deflating that went in that courtroom. People who wanted him to be found innocent. At that point, immediately, the, the, the next question becomes, guilty of murder, is it first degree or second degree? Because a murder charge in Massachusetts means life in jail. First degree murder means there's no hope of parole. Second degree murder says you can have parole. So the question is, first degree or second degree murder? And they asked the jury, first per, uh, the jury four person, they said, to what degree? And they said, murder in the first degree. And immediately, Aaron Hernandez's mother and fiancé begin weeping. And as I was watching that, as shocked and stunned as I am, because usually in our faulty legal system, 
right? You're guilty until proven rich, which he is. But what shocked me more than the actual verdict was a complete lack of emotion on his face, Aaron Hernandez, as the verdict was pronounced. The same stone-cold look before the verdict was the same stone-cold look after the verdict. Even though it meant that Aaron Hernandez would never see his newborn baby daughter apart from behind bars. The fiancé to whom he was engaged, he would never be able to sleep in the same bed with her. And that he, first degree murder, is going to die in jail because he murdered his fiancé's sister's boyfriend. But a complete lack of remorse. And as I watched that, and even as he was being shackled and taken off out of the courtroom, same thing. And commentators are saying the same thing. And I, I read an article about him yesterday. And people in the jail, guards and wardens, that he's the same person now as he was a month ago. Still this invincible 25-year-old man. He sees maximum security prison as an NFL training camp. And immediately, I, I, just, I just began to pray, God, I pray that he finds, he finds remorse. That he begins to feel the weight of this. Because he's got too long to live. And though he's going to die in jail, that's the reality. Barring a supernatural miracle of an appeal to a higher court. I pray that he would find remorse. That he wouldn't go to his grave the same hardened man that he is right now. And the reality is that in prison, a lot of people find it. A lot of people find it. That's why prison ministries are so popular and so effective because you sit there in your jail cell with people who are just as hardened as you, who've done just as bad a thing as you. And you're left to sit there and to think about the things that you've done. On mission trips, I remember going to Belize, going to a mission trip in Belize and going visiting a prison. And there were some who were hardened, they were mean, they were cruel. They called us names. And yet there are others whose hearts seem to be the softest hearts that I've ever spoken to in my life. If they realize that I'm broken and I need help, that I've jacked myself up and I've hurt a bunch of other people too, and they're wrestling with that, they've come to the place of mourning. But they needed to see that there's a comfort that's available. If you're in jail, at some point, at some point, you will probably come to some place where you realize the depth of your sin and the depth of your crime, and you begin to mourn over that. As you think about the lives that were lost, as you hear testimonies of the mother of the slain son and of the sister of the deceased whose children will never know the wonderful uncle that he was to his other nephews and nieces. And you begin to come to grips with the reality of those things. And yet Jesus says the only people who will receive the comfort are those who come to find it in Christ. A lot of us will mourn over our sin, but the only ones who are blessed are the ones who find the blessing and the comfort of Christ. One prison in, uh, in Brazil, I forget what the prison is called, 
But for the past 30 years, Chuck Colson, it's in his autobiography. He visited, Chuck Colson does a lot of ministry in prisons, and he visited this one prison in Brazil. And he was fascinated by it because it had been taken over by Christians, and over the past 30 years, they had completely reformed that prison. And so he wanted to find out what makes it different. He found out that all these inmates had just experienced this, this amazing transformation within their lives. As they preached the gospel with them and they shared the gospel with them. And they got to touring this prison and they got to an older part of the prison. And the guy who was actually an inmate, he was giving the tour. He said, this last cell here is where they used to have the punishment block, the torture block where prisoners who went out of line would go and they would get tortured. And now only one person stays in there. The inmate guard said, would you like to see that prisoner? And in his book, he says, growing impatient, Chuck Colson said, yeah, I've been to isolation cells all over the world. I'll be more than glad and willing and wanting to see the prisoner in the cell. And so he got the key, the man got the key, and he opened up the massive steel door. And as he opened it up, there was a big wooden crucifix of Jesus. And the inmate lowered his voice. And he said, he's doing the time for the rest of us in here. And he said, The amazing thing about that prison, in Brazil, 70% of prisoners, when they're released, will go back into jail. But in that one prison, only 4% relapse and go back to jail. There's a power when we begin to understand. And these people in prison left to think about their sin understand that probably deeper than the majority of people in the world. When criminals, when robbers, when rapists, when thieves, when kidnappers are face to face with their mortality and with their sin. And they look at Jesus, the one who's doing time for them, and they think to themselves, this has nothing to do with me that I've been made given entrance into the kingdom. Why should I gain from his reward? Why have you chosen me out of millions your child to be? They understand that. They understand that there was nothing in them that caused them to be lovable, but in being loved by Jesus, they have become lovable. The only reason, because of mercy, because of grace. Have you come to understand the depth of your sin in that way? That you and I are no better than any of the hardened criminals who sit in in, in these maximum security jail cells. Why has he chosen us? Not because we're good. It's not because we come here. Not because we teach a class. Not because we lead a house church. Not because we stand on a praise team. The mercy of God. And that alone. See, when we begin to understand that, this is when we begin to live in a freedom from our sin, And it's when we begin to understand what joy begins to look like in our lives. See, surface level mourning will lead to surface level change. 
But deep mourning is going to lead to deep change because it leads us to a deep understanding of who Jesus is. The deeper the mourning of our sin, the deeper the understanding and appreciation of the cross and of the good news will become to us. You see, if you only see yourself as a surface level sinner, then Jesus will only be a surface level savior to you. Just a prick on the finger for Jesus and that's it. But if you see the depth of your sin, then you're going to see the depth of his sacrifice for you. And you'll never be able to go back. I say this all the time, right? How this is why the last night of the retreat is always so powerful. Not because there's an emotional buildup to it. It's not because, oh, this is where God shows up the most. It's not. As you go, three-day retreat, the first day you're like, I'm kind of excited to be here, but that girl looks real cute. That guy looks real handsome. Oh, the cologne he's wearing is so nice. Oh, he's wearing vineyard vines again. Oh, my God. Ah. There's a little bit of a desire for God, but still distraction. Come the second day, you hear the word of God. It's plowing through the sin in our hearts. The second night comes. Man, God is speaking to me. He's tugging at my heart. The hardness is being melted away and the beginning to thaw within my heart. You begin to repent of some of the surface level sins in your lives and you begin to be, be brought to an awareness of some of the other things that are going on in you. Time you get to the third night and other people are starting to experience God and other people are starting to, to seek Him and other people, there's a sense in which a collective longing is, is leading to a move of the Spirit. Come the third night, you've begun to repent. And at the end of that third night, you let go of all of these things and you say, you share with your accountability partner, you come up to a pastor and we talk and we we pray together and you say, I'm ready to let go of these things. That closing praise time is just filled with just a joy of knowing Jesus. Not because, oh, I've made this great commitment to conquer the world. No, because you see how great Jesus is that all of these things have been forgiven. And you're ready to live in the glorious freedom and the joy that has been won for you at the cross and appropriated to you in your mourning over sin. You're like, I want to live for Jesus now. With joy and with excitement that you never had, that you didn't have when you entered that place. The deeper the mourning over sin, the deeper the joy of your acceptance and of your embrace and of your approval in Christ will be. I was preparing this message throughout the week. I was just so convicted over, God, I need to, I want to mourn over my sin. I don't want to just say, I'm sorry for this, I'm sorry for that, and then just go back to living however I want to live. I want to live in the joy of the gospel. I want the good news to be great and new to me. And so I prayed one night. I said, God, help me to see. Help me to see myself the way you do. Help me to mourn over my sins. Help me to be broken over my sin. I don't want to just pray the, the same old sins over and over and, and then come back the next day and the next week and, and pray the same thing. I think there's something about our desire to honor God and to see Him as bigger that God wants to bless and He wants to honor and as I was praying for that and just waiting in, in, in quiet before the Lord, God just began to show me like all of these sins in my life and all of these things that I so easily and readily excuse and rationalize and, and say it was justified. And as I began to repent and, and surrender these things to the Lord, this doesn't always happen. 
But at certain times, God begins to put a weight of gravity into my heart. And it's not, I mean, I wasn't thinking about sad things. I wasn't thinking about that puppy dog that got crushed on the side of the road, therefore I'm going to cry. But no, just through conviction of the Spirit. And it wasn't like this, this overwhelming, sobbing, heaving. But just, I just began to cry over my sin and over the condition of my heart as God began to show me. And I began to repent and to say, God, I want to turn away from these things. Things that I didn't even, I didn't even consider a sin. If we're, someone were to say, let's spend the time in, in confession and repentance, I wouldn't even bring up these sins in my heart. I don't even know them. And he began to show these things. And I began to repent of these things. And I just began, to, for, for all of my life, I've lived with these sins. With sin in my life. And I know theology that God's always going to forgive our sins. But there was a part of me that, that said to God, I said, God, isn't this tiring to you? Because you know, at a certain point, theology and practice begin to, 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 to bump heads. And, and sometimes you need to really uh, fight to believe the things you know to be true. That God, is it, you know, doesn't it bother you when, you keep, when I keep on coming to you and repenting and, and asking you to forgive me? And I thought about, and, and I think, you know, God just brought to my mind, um, and it wasn't a vision, it's just a thought of how Elijah comes to me when he's done something bad, and I tell him to come, and it's the same thing. Daddy, I pushed baby, or something, whatever it is. If every day he came back to me and he said that, at what point would I say, go away from me? Get away from me. I would never say that. Would never say that. And it's as if God was saying, how much more me to you? The fact that he comes to me melts my heart, even though he comes over and over and over again, that he comes to me. The fact that I come to my Father, That you can come to your Father over and over and over again. How can souls not sing His praise? And when we sing that song, My soul cries out, Hallelujah, praise and honor unto Thee. I, it's not like we force our souls to sing that. When a dead soul understands that Jesus has done that for us, our soul just cries out. It's a, it's a natural response. We don't have to tell it to do that. When you see something amazing, when you see the beauty of, a, 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 of an Orlando Magic basketball game, when they actually win, no one tells you, stand up and applaud. You're like so amazed at something like that, that you stand up and you applaud it. That God would forgive us time and time again. Listen, can I tell you something? If our hearts are not moved by the wonder of it all, that God would forgive us, and your heart does not sing the praise of God on earth, then I wonder how our hearts 
will stand to praise God for all of eternity singing of the same mercy that we sing of now. Can I tell you that a lot of people in churched America think that they're Christians because they go to church. But if there's no marveling at his mercy, if there's no wonder, if there's no wow, if there's no woe, if there's no amazement, then maybe the good news hasn't been so good to you yet. Because heaven will only be home in a place we long to go if this world is not a playground, but it's a battleground. You ask any soldier in Iraq and Afghanistan, anywhere who's fought anywhere, and you give them papers saying you're able to go home, they rejoice at the thought that they could go. But you go to kids playing on the playground, it's time to go home. They fight and they kick and they scream, but I haven't done this, I haven't done that, I haven't crossed this off my bucket list yet. How do you see this world? Is it a playground? Is it a battleground? Because when Jesus pronounces the blessings, that this blessing was not possible, Till I came. It was prophesied 700 years ago, Isaiah 61, 2 and 3, that He will comfort those who mourn. He will replace ashes with beauty and pour the oil of gladness over their heads. And in that same passage, Isaiah 61 in Luke chapter 4, Jesus, the first time He sat at a synagogue, opened up the scroll, and he read that passage, and he said, this is fulfilled in your hearing now. Jesus, Jesus Christ, is the one who makes it possible for us to be comforted. He's the man of sorrows. He's the mourning one. And as he mourned on the cross for the sins of the world, not his own, but for yours and for mine, as he hung on the cross... The one thing he wanted was to be comforted. But the one who could give it to him rejected him. In order that we who mourn when we look to him would never be rejected, but could know the comfort of the Savior. This is available to those who put their trust in Christ. Not just to say a prayer, but to surrender the reign and the rule of their lives to Jesus and say, take me, I'll follow you. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. Let's pray. Let's uh, spend a, a moment right now to pray. Can we just pray, Lord, help me to not graduate from this message. Help this message to linger 
to show up in my dreams, to chase me, to pursue me, not to beat me, but to woo me. For those who deal and struggle with habitual sin, let's move towards Jesus. Let's mourn over our sin. Ask the Spirit of God to search your heart. For those who lack joy, says truly blessed, truly happy. Oh, the joys of the one who mourned their sin, for the gospel will comfort them. Take some time to examine our hearts, to search our hearts. Jesus, I need you. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Help me. Help me, Lord God. Help me to mourn that my life would be changed. Help me to mourn that I might find joy in you. We're all going to mourn in life. We're all going to come to grips with the reality of our sin. But the comfort that's promised comes in Jesus, through him, from him, by him. So as we pray, again, in just a moment, I'm going to give an invitation for anyone who wants to put their, to give their lives to Christ. To say, God, I'm turning around. I'm not going to live for myself anymore. I'm going to live for Christ. I'm not going to live for the world or the dreams of it. I'm going to live for Jesus. I need a Savior, but more than that, as much as I need that, I need a Lord to guide me because I'm keep, I keep on leading myself astray. So let's pray together for a minute like that. Just in a posture of humble surrender. Let's pray for a few moments and then to give us an invitation for any who would want to respond. Let's pray anyone here, you know what, I need I need to be changed maybe the fruit of my life indicates that I'm not really a child of God maybe I've done good things I've acted better, but underlying that I'm still the Lord of my life, I still haven't given my life to Christ I don't know if there's any, I imagine there's people like that in there's anyone like that today who feels like, yeah, I want today to be the day that my life changes, or it's not like that anymore. I invite you to raise your hand from where you are. Jesus, I need you in my life. Okay. Thank you. There's uh, at least one person in here who feels like, yeah, that's me. Jesus in my life. 
just let us wrestle with this for just a few seconds. Because sometimes, you know, Jesus leaves the 99 to go after one. And maybe there's someone who's, yeah, that's me, I need Christ in my life. at times to do good and other times I haven't tried so hard but the reality is that I've made a mess out of my life and I've hurt other people and on this life in this life the one who's hurt the most is not me or my family it's you because you made me for so much more I confess that I've sinned and I've blown it and I need forgiveness I need mercy and I need a Savior to rescue me in order that I might find life and I might bring life to others. I believe that the life is found in Jesus Christ as I've been hearing and I put my trust in you now. Forgive me of all of my sins and wash me clean and come into my life to be my new master, to be my new king. Lead me and I will follow you because what you do is best. Help me to be the man, the woman that you want me to be. I love you because you've loved me first. And even knowing my sin, you continue to love me still. Thank you, Lord. So, Father, for the ones in here who made that prayer their own, Lord, would you change from the inside out? And for those who've prayed that prayer sometimes in the past, pray that the new life of Christ would continue to flow unhindered through their lives. And for those who still wrestle with whether that's for them or not, I pray that the beauty of Jesus would beckon and call and would woo them to a right relationship with you, to know that it's because of grace and because of love and because of mercy saved and loved. Thank you so much. Mold us and make us and cause us to love you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all rise and uh, prepare our tithes and offerings.